right, so we are live with Coaching with the Purpose with, uh, I'm going to hopefully don't mess this up, uh, 15 Red, correct? Mm-hmm. All right, with Roanoke United, Josh James. Um, I know I've gotten the, you know, we'll say it's been a long day, man. Words are not easy right now. <laughs> um, I've had the, the luck of playing against and seeing your program um, compete at various tournaments. So... Um, I'll just let you elaborate on kind of where you where you started coaching, where you started playing, and we'll go from there. Um, yeah, so like you said, my name is Josh James. I've been coaching for um, about five years now. I started uh, coaching as an assistant JV high school coach um, in 2017, I want to say, Um and at a Hidden Valley High School in Roanoke, Virginia, kind of got a like a just a random chance opportunity to start coaching there. I knew a kid on the team and had like just had a random conversation with them where they said, like, you know, we both kind of bonded over being interested in volleyball. And I reached out to her coach to just say, like, hey, I'd love to come to your practice and just like shag balls or help in some way and kind of met with her and eventually just like it all kind of clicked in a line to start actually coaching there. And then that connected me to Roanoke United um, because so Carla Pond, who was the head, still is the head coach of that um, at Hidden Valley High School. um, She is our, she's right now our 18 red coach at Roanoke United. Um, And so she connected me with um, that club and kind of just worked my way up there. Um, I started off, assisting her when she was coaching our 14 red team. So they, um, our, our club uses like a red, white, blue system where red is our highest level. And then white and blue are the next two below that. Although often white and blue teams are fairly similar level. They're just kind of what other clubs might call like a regional team or something like a club level versus open level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was an assistant coach for two, white level well a red level team and a white level team that year and then the next year was the assistant for um a red level and the head coach of a white level and that ended up being way way too much i told myself i'd never coach two travel teams in the same season ever again and then um moved on to be the head coach of our 17 red team just because that happened to be an open slot that year um and then moved to 15 red this past year. Um, and during that time also coached high school, um, at hidden Valley. And then just this year actually moved, uh, to our, to hidden Valley's rival high school cave spring to be the head coach there. So I'm in the midst of my first head coaching high school season in the middle of COVID, but, um, it's been nice and busy, but it's also just a fun opportunity for me. So, um, that's been my coaching journey as, as far as playing, I played volleyball in high school, um, actually overseas. I happened to, uh, I am American, but grew up in China and played for essentially like a small international school. We happened to have a volleyball team. We were not very good. I did not know very much about volleyball back then. And then came to the U S started playing with more serious people just kind of for fun in college and realized like, Oh, I really need to figure this out. And so I started, even before I was coaching, I was kind of teaching myself to coach without knowing it by like, I was going and like attending coaching clinics online that were intended for coaches. But I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need to know how to coach myself to get better. And so I was already like becoming a coach just while I was a player by doing that. And that kind of fitted me well for that path. Yeah. And I know that was, that was kind of big for me too. Um, I never really had like a, a, I will say a serious structured coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I mean, I learned by playing. I learned from the guys that I played with. So I think that's what kind of drives us a little bit harder. And we, we learn it a little bit, we'll say more, uh, more natural. And yeah. It kind of, kind of stays ingrained in our, in our brain a lot harder, a lot easier. Um, what's been, what's been the biggest change with, uh, with, COVID with uh, your program. I know I saw uh, this one group I belong to on Facebook. They actually posted a question. um, Would everyone be okay with staying on the same side instead of switching? 
you know, after we go back to like, we'll say normal rules and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw tons of people that were like, you know, I'd love to just not have to switch anymore. You know, even something so simple that we thought was normal now is, you know, no handshakes, no switching sides. And um, what's been the biggest kind of change for Roanoke and for, for your team? Yeah, so I just to bounce off that, I would be one of those coaches probably all in favor of not switching sides anymore. I think just that one less thing to be worried about in the frantic switchover of like, okay, especially coaching at a 15s age where it's like, did you get your water bottle? Did you leave it at the other bench? Like everybody get all your stuff, move over here, pay attention. Come on. Also, I need to grab the lineup and write down our lineup and give it back to them and talk to you all in like what feels like 10 seconds. I know it's longer than that, but that's, it feels like I get about 10 seconds to be like, okay, write a lineup, say something to your kids, get them out there. And then inevitably they forgot six things at the other bench. So I, I definitely wouldn't mind cutting that step out, but um, we definitely had um, several, I know like within our club, our team has been relatively lucky not to have a lot of COVID scares. There have been, teams that either missed tournaments or like sent really, really reduced teams to tournaments because kids were exposed or like coaches or players had COVID and needed to quarantine separately. And so that's been, that's probably the biggest thing is just kind of having that constant concern. Um, I think we only ever had one kid miss one tournament for us just because they had cold flu symptoms come up the day before and couldn't get tested in time to confirm that it wasn't COVID. Um, So we've been, my team specifically has been fortunate not to have an issue there, but I know like almost every team has been impacted some way there. And even some tournaments, like we, there were several tournaments near us that either were canceled or were heavily changed. Like Virginia has been particularly strict. And so there have been, I think we've only gone to, three tournaments in Virginia and they've all been very, very different from normal and very, very different from each other with uh, a tournament in Richmond in January being like zero spectators, which is manageable, but it's just a very different thing of like coaching 15s and having like even some younger kids on the team who are still in middle school and their parents just being like, I don't know what's going to happen. Sending like my basically like dropping my kid off with a bunch of other kids, her age and two coaches who like, I'm, I'm 26, like I'm pretty young as a coach and my assistant this year was fresh out of college. So we were a young squad and I actually uh, recruited my wife and signed her up as a coach and made her take the, uh, all the USAV trainings just so she could be at that tournament to help me out. And that was a big help, but there've been so many things like that this year, just to make it more complicated at tournaments, just juggling probably every, every single tournament having to juggle, like, okay, what are the rules for this one? Um, having to figure out like, do kids have to wear masks when they play or not? Are the kids like, what kind of paperwork are we turning in? Like, do I need to bring my own thermometer? Because if one of my kids, you know, is a hundred degrees at the door, they're going to turn our whole team away. So I need to like temp my kids before we even go to avoid that risk or like just lots of different things like that, where that it started to feel like this year I had like a job and a half coaching where it's like the one job was coaching and the other half a job was just learning what rules I had to like, like, you know, what kind of things I had to figure out to even get my kids on the court to begin with. Um, And I, I think it's been good to see tournaments take that seriously because obviously like COVID is spreading within travel teams. We had several teams miss tournaments because of things like that. So it's important that tournaments take that seriously, but it's also like, I will be very excited to get back to not doing that anymore because it is just so much to figure out every time. But as I know, I've, I mean, I've, I've dealt with it too. And Mm -hmm. I think the, the strangest setup, actually, we just, just played in a tournament, uh, last weekend and they did it in four waves and it was strange because I've never heard of anything besides AM PM, at least in the time I've been coaching and they had a they had a group go from 7 to 10 10 30 to 1 2 to 6 i think and then 6 30 to 9 30 and mm-hmm. they played back to back to back and there was no work team and 
we weren't really told how that was going to happen unless there's something I missed, but we weren't really told. And then we get there and, you know, I'm talking to the, to the, you know, R1 and I said, you know, what are we supposed to do? And she goes, Oh, I was unaware that there wasn't a work team. Oh man. And so I'm sitting there going, Oh, well, this is great. And so she's like, you know, well, you're, you know, what, what you're supposed to do is have parents volunteer. And I'm like, well, that's not smart. Like nothing to the parents, but you know, there's just so many things that can happen. And we got lucky where we had an extra coach who could sit and do the book, Mm -hmm. but you know, but we had, we were lucky enough to have parents to, you know, flip score or do lines, but it was, it's, I think some places have handled it very, very, very well with like the limited spectators or none at all, which I haven't been to one of those yet. So um, I can only imagine what that's like. It just seems like it'd be dead silent. And then um, getting to having the ones where we have a completely new wave schedule. And I think this is thrown in the entirety of club sports into a, like a head spin. Mm-hmm. To where it's almost like we don't know what's going to come next, and how do we prep for it? And do we just come up with like five different scenarios and go with the best one? Yeah, it's definitely been, I think, as complicated as some of the setups have been for us. I almost wish, like, I think the toughest thing really has been the inconsistency more than even just the hurdles to jump. That it was like if we could get even like across a single state, a clear set of guidelines of like how each tournament is going to operate and just kind of know, cause it's like, we've done, we've been to three tournaments in Virginia and they've all just been so different from each other in terms of like what was expected, like how many spectators, what the spectators had to do, what the kids had to do. Like it's just really, really different every time. And then when we go to other states too, obviously like that's really different. I feel like I get an email like two or three emails a week updating me on big south which will be our last tournament telling me they've changed some policy about big south again and me being like at this point i might like i i've literally stopped forwarding those emails on to the parents because i'm like i'm just gonna wait till we're a week out and get what the final decision is and just send it out because it's not helped us to panic about like every intermediate step not knowing if it's going to change later or what so i'm just kind of like we'll figure it out we figured it out every time so far and it would, it, yeah, it's one of those things. I think if there could be more consistency, that would make a big difference. And it's just the having to refigure it out literally every tournament that has been pretty overwhelming. So with, um, I know there's obviously plenty of club programs in every state. Um, I've followed Roanoke United for some time now and I've seen you guys as like one of the top programs in Virginia. Um, I know, I believe if one of the first couple times I ever saw you guys play was, I want to say up north, I want to say near like Pennsylvania, Ohio, um, or even out in Philadelphia at like NEQ. And then when I got down here in South Carolina, it became, you know, we got to see more of a presence, um, especially in Myrtle Beach and then traveling around mm-hmm. like Columbia and, and Raleigh um, and Charlotte what's what's the what's the one thing in Roanoke United that has that you believe has led to their success hmm. or a couple things doesn't have to just be one yeah I think well like as a as a prideful person I think I always like to believe that there's something about the coaches that's making it successful to like pick something for us I I I really think one of the big things has been, so there are really, at this point, there are essentially two clubs in our area that are large enough to have multiple teams. And so we compete really just with one other club in terms of recruitment. And um, I think there's something to like, realistically, like so much of how strong a travel team can be comes down to like how strong are the players who try out because there's so much like I, I really do firmly believe coaches make a big difference in terms of like how much can you improve these players from day one to you know final tournament mm-hmm. 
But there's also just teams that we've had where I've been like, these kids could have won these tournaments without a coach. You know, like you, if you have the right recruiting, you're getting the right people to come show up, like that makes a big difference. And I think um, the area we're in, Roanoke is not a huge city, but really like my assessment has always been kind of has several above average volleyball programs here that like kind of produce like high schools that produce the talent that allows us to have really strong club teams. And then even like nearby high schools that are in more rural areas that don't have strong clubs that like are willing to ship those kids to us to get the strong programs they want, where we can have like, even for like really not being an enormous club, like the our biggest age groups will have um, three teams. And I think maybe one year we had a fourth team for a really big age group. But in general, like there's, there's normally two, you get like a red and a white team at most age levels and that's it. Um, and so for our size, I think kids really do come pretty far. Like we have my team right now, the farthest, I think we got a kid who comes about an hour and a half for our practices right now, but it has not been unusual for us to have kids for the, like, some of our stronger teams come even farther than that, where they're just thinking like, we've had a kid, we had a kid one year come out of state from West Virginia all the way to Virginia to play on our travel team. And that was kind of one of those things just like, oh man, like, I think that was eye opening to me to be like, wow, like this kid probably came two hours or more each way to practice that took place at like seven o'clock at night and then drove back at nine o'clock. Like, I think that that helps us, that sets us up really well for success when you kind of, when you have enough of a reputation to pull kids that far, that they think like, I, I want to be the best. And so this is the club that's going to get me the best opportunities. So I definitely think that's a factor. And again, the, there we've had like Lord Badatot high school in our area won the last three, um, three, a state championships in Virginia pretty handily. So they've been producing several really good players for the, the past few years. And a lot of those players were on our 18s team this past year. And that was a really dominant team and um, Hidden Valley where I had been coaching the JV team had won um, two state championships in the past few years and has been at least to like the final four in the 3A division every time. Um, Cave Spring, where I coach now, previously was kind of a similar powerhouse. I think they won three or four state championships under the same coach um, who was there maybe four years before I came on. Um, and there's just, so really there's just been like kind of an unusual little cluster of strong programs in Roanoke that are creating kind of that even beyond our club, just like that area culture that makes teams really successful. And we have a really strong, like I would credit also, we have a really strong um, adult league that plays, like it's a, our, I think what I've heard from the people that run it is it's the largest um, outdoor rec, or it's the largest like recreational sports league for adults in Roanoke. And it's a volleyball league. And so they've expanded to do lots of juniors things where they're having like every summer like the best opportunity if you're not going to play beach is probably to play like a grass league for this what originally was just like an adults volleyball league that has expanded and set up like a pretty large system for our juniors players to get opportunities and even for like the really talented older high school kids will play with the adults and like do that for a season for their summer season and i think that that does a lot. Like that's the top thing I recommend to my kids if they like want to do something over the summer to improve their volleyball is like sign up for a rec league, like actually get to play and experience what it's like to be, you know, one of two people on the court trying to cover the whole court, learning ball control, learning to deal with the wind, all those things. So yeah, I, I think I would credit that. Like, I do think we have some pretty phenomenal coaches in our club and that's helped a lot. We, um, I, I think we do well in that area, but in terms of just like what's made our club successful, I think the biggest thing has to just be that there's a lot of talent here and we have tapped that pretty well. Well, yeah. And I know it's, it's always hard, especially when you're competing with somebody else. I mean, even, mm -hmm. even all the big cities, they have, you know, what, four or five big programs that right. all compete regardless. And I know the bigger the area, the more kids, I mean, it's always crazy to think that some of these big programs have, 
you know, five, 600 kids sometimes in them. And that's just their, their travel teams. Mm-hmm. And it's not even yeah. their development leagues. It's not their stay and play leagues. It's not their, maybe their, their clinic weekends or something. But, um, a big question I always wonder, and I mean, I have my way of handling it is labels when it comes to, um, talking to parents about the teams, like the, the, the rankings of the teams, like you said, mm-hmm. red, red, white, and blue. Um, for me personally, I've taken the whole open American premier elite, whatever, you know, labeling system people like to use. I've taken it completely out and I'll just put, uh, like this year we have a 14 U team. I'll just put 14 U one. If we have a second, it'd be 14 U two. And it's not so much of, well, the one team is the one's team. It's just, we have two teams. Um, how, how, how do you guys found success with using the red, white and blue instead of actually putting it as open, we'll say open premier and regional? Yeah. Um, so I think like one of the things that that's really big about that is it gives us the flexibility to put like, cause I think there's just like from age group to age group, we just get big variant. So like this year we happen to have a really, really strong 17s team. Like our 17s team just beat our 18s team in a tournament um, because our 17s team is just that good. And so that 17s team is just a red team but like they can go to open tournaments and like hang and compete and potentially win playing at the open level. Whereas like, like my team, my 15s team is kind of probably pretty average middle tier group for us right now. So we, even though we're like the highest level for our club, I would never consider taking this team to an open tournament at the 15s level, we would get smashed. So we have done a few like, um, like power or kind of the intermediate, like, one step above club level tournaments we've done i think two of those um and we'll do i guess they call it american at big south it's whatever their kind of second tier at big south but it gives us the choice there to kind of look at the team and be like this is the best like this is the best group we have of the kids trying out but that doesn't mean we need to send them to open tournaments and we don't want to set that expectation that like kids shouldn't be coming in just thinking like oh i made the red team like, let's go play open. Let's go win all our tournaments that aren't open. Because um, I think that's, like, not a very helpful mindset to think, like, well, like, why isn't our red team, like, you know, the best team around? And it's some years it's like, well, like, we lost kids to the other club that, like, you know, such and such person really wanted to play for the coach at the other club and their age level, and maybe they'll come back next year or whatever. But it gives that flexibility to be like, oh, this is kind of the level we think this team is at. And we'll put them to that. And it also gives the coaches a little bit more say of like, um, really like one of the biggest considerations for kids is always cost because you could be on like a really, really strong team and still feel like, uh, I don't know if I want to pay to go to a tournament that's nine hours away, even if it's a really good competition. Like I don't there will be parents who are like, you know, I'm, if it's more than five or six hours, like that's just too much, we're not gonna go. Or if it's like a really expensive tournament, like we um, send a lot of teams, a lot of our red teams will go to Capitol Hill in DC. But what we found is like, I had a team last year that really, really did not want to go to that tournament because of the cost that they were like, the hotels are too expensive, it's a stay and play, and we just can't afford, we don't wanna spend all this money really just like on being in DC, we'd rather spend that money on the tournaments themselves. And so we've like, it gives the flexibility for different coaches to say like, okay, like, you know, this team might be at the right level to go to this tournament, but the parents are at this cost level. So how can I like fine tune this and be like, we might go to this lower level tournament, even though it's like not as much of a challenge for us, it might be cheaper, it might be closer. And it gives the option to be like, you know what, this is a good team. We want to get them chances to play, but we don't want them to feel kind of forced to be like, go play in, you know, the biggest tournaments near us and try to win them. Sometimes like we need that flexibility to be able to say like, oh, like we're actually going to go play in a day tournament this weekend because that's the cheapest way to get playing time for us is like it costs 
like a hundred to two hundred dollars spread across ten people to go to a day tournament versus like five or five to eight hundred for some of our longer tournaments, you just get like you're not going to get the same level of competition, but at least it'll be cheap and the parents don't need to get a hotel room and they don't need to think about driving six hours and their kid doesn't need to potentially miss school that you know on Friday in order to get there on time. So and I, I know that's it's huge to to try and take an approach like that because I don't see I, I've seen clubs that have like preset tournament schedules. Mm-hmm. You know, they they kind of they'll either go off of which I've tried to do this and it doesn't always work out. Um, you try and go off of the previous year and say, hey, this this lineup really worked. I liked it. Um, you know, hopefully we keep roughly the same people. We'll run it again. Um, I abandoned that really fast because I had two or three tournaments that changed dates so drastically that it jammed everything else up. Mm-hmm. And then come to find out they either they either move dates or they move sites. So then the whole plan kind of goes out the window. Yeah. But I love the idea, which is why I gave up the whole national open, you know, wording because I really feel it is just the team and where you put them. Because if you're if you're saying you're a national level and you're not playing national tournaments, um, I know parents don't really notice that sometimes. But I think as a coach, it's a disservice if we don't tell them. You know, if if you're saying, well, this is going to be an open level team, and you're not playing any open level tournaments, or you're playing national tournaments and you're being promoted as open level, you know, there's this inflated, this false inflated ego. Which is great if they if they have the skill, but if you're just saying we're supposed to be an open level program, and we are playing, you know, regional level tournaments, what are we doing? You know, that's why, especially in certain areas, I know around here, um, and certain coastal areas, the the open level almost I'm not gonna say it doesn't exist, but it's very very thin. So you might have two or three kids who could hang on a national open level, but you don't have enough to really back them all right. up into that level. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a complicated issue of like that. I think that sometimes has led to um, kids jumping age levels and not just like going like, oh, I'm 15 eligible, but I'm going to play 16s this year because I want to be with the 16s group. But even having kids who are like, you know, way, way, way younger jumping up to higher level because like they might be like a 14s age open caliber player, but there's nobody else their age that's that level. So they'd rather jump up and play 17s and at least feel competition versus like staying in their age group and just being an all-star on a mediocre team. And I think there is space for that, that it's like, we want we we should be wanting to give kids the best level of competition because if they really are just playing tournaments where all they have to do is bring a high quality serve and win 10 points in a row like that's no good like you're not actually getting better by playing against teams like that and i had a team we had a 14s team like that a few years ago where it was just like we've got to find like tougher tournaments for these kids because it's a waste of time to spend your whole first day or two just playing teams that can't even receive your serves mm-hmm. and so there's I definitely see the value of like trying to put kids at their appropriate challenge level so that they can grow and they can actually like play kids who are good. But for sure, the the open label has become, I think, really, really dangerous for kids. Like that's been a big thing that I've spent a lot of time talking about with my 15s kids this year is like, I think there was something weird about Virginia moved our high school season to take place in um, like right now we're in the middle of our high school season right now when it would normally be in the fall. And because of that kid 15 level kids who are fresh, who are mostly freshmen or eighth graders, they played almost an entire travel season and then went to try out for their high school teams and now have come back and some of them made their varsity teams and like some of them, you know, or like, you know, got a really good spot. Like they're a six rotation outside hitter on their JV team when they were like, you know, a, a backup on their travel team. And I think that's created this, um, 
this attitude of like, we're, we're really, really good. And we like, we totally should be winning these tournaments. And it almost becomes this, like you plant an idea in a kid's head of like, I'm good enough to win, like to be playing at this level and to be winning. Why isn't my team winning? It must be my teammates. It's not me it's my teammates. And I think that's been really, really tough with this group is to be like, Hey, like, stop being so cocky about this. Like the reason you're losing is always at least a little bit you, like it could be that your teammates are worse than you, but like, if you're actually an elite level player, like you shouldn't have to go fuss at your setter every time they don't give you a, a perfect set, you should be able to adjust and hit that ball anyways. Like if you really want to claim to be, you know, this all-star passer, like get your setter a better pass every time. Don't complain when they can't put your medium pass up perfectly, like keep fighting to improve. And I think it's, it's reversed that. And these kids have been like, we're a really good team. Like, why aren't we winning? I know I'm really good. I made my varsity team. So maybe it's these other kids, like maybe they're the ones messing this up for me. And so I think that that has become like really tough for this team in particular, but also just in general, like once you start to add that label on of like giving these kids some sense of like, how good you think they should be is helpful. But if it ever becomes like, if it ever moves from just them recognizing like, Oh, this is the level I should play at to be challenged. And it becomes like, this is the level I'm at and nobody else is up here. Like I'm so good. That's a huge disservice to them and to their teammates. And that can be really dangerous. Yeah. I know I had, I've had this one question and I've bounced this off of a few coaches. Um, and my big reason asking you is just it's a different area. Um, uh, I've had a couple athletes that could have easily played up and mm-hmm. I feel should have played up. I'm talking two to three years and like a 14s into a 16s or 15s into maybe a 17s or 18s. How do you how do you go about not so much convincing them, but how have you handled where you kind of do you just lay it out for them and just say, hey, look, I feel like um the idea and this is just me as a coach because i I try to not like candy coat it it's just saying Mm -hmm. you know do do you want to compete and get better at the sport or do you want to play with your friends you can accomplish both but your friends need to need to be at the same level as you too or within reach so how have you gone about or seen other coaches go about getting those athletes to realize that they have the potential and that it's okay for them to go up and play without their friends. But in order to do it, they push themselves and they end up making new friends and teammates. Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't had many, I haven't had a ton of those kids myself where I've had to be the one to kind of launch them in that direction. Honestly, I think a lot of the kids that I've looked at and been like, this kid should be playing up. were already kind of having that attitude of like, um, better than these kids, like it's time to go. And so there hasn't been as much pushing kids up to the level that they should be and like almost like pushing them out of their friend group to be with their playing group. Um, haven't had as much trouble there. We've actually like, I think this year at tryouts, we had several kids try out above their age group that I just looked at it. I was like, oh no, like you're way, way out of your league here. Like who told you to come try out two years above your age? Like you'll be lucky to make your age. Um, and so there's, I think there's always, there's disconnects there of like kids don't assess their skills that well. And so it's important for coaches to be involved in that. So I definitely agree with you. Like my, my duty is always to give my most clear, honest assessment in a helpful way. Cause I don't want to like come to a kid and be like, look, you're the best kid here. You need to go play 18s. You're so awesome. Like, and start to feed their ego to say like, you're too good for all these other kids. This kid's worse than you. You're better at this. Like. They don't need to hear that as much as they just need to hear, hey, like, I think for right now, the best choice for you is to play with this this age group, because I think this is the group that you will be like most balanced with that, like, this is the level that you're going to be challenged and also be able to succeed that you can find both those things because it is an important balance. Like, I think there's some volleyball coach that talks about this. I can't remember which one, but just like finding um like desirable difficulties that it's like you need this to be hard but you also don't need it to be so hard that you are overwhelmed by it like it's good for you to feel challenged it's good for you to have a few of those games you're like i don't know what to do i don't know how to beat this team it's like okay yeah like that's a good spot to be 
but you also don't want to go so far in the other direction of like, let's put this kid up at this level and just like, you know, get her world shook so that she figures out like how to hang with tougher kids. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, uh, I've had, um, I've had an athlete where she's told me and, and one of my coaches, you know, she's like, I love training with you guys. You know, it's so much fun. And, um, you know, literally told her, you know, we haven't, there was an opening for 18s. I said, you could play 18s, you know, I'm going to offer you a spot. And, you know, comes back and says, well, you know, me, my mom thinks, you know, I'm going to, I, I, I'm, I think I'm going to get hurt and, you know, I'm, I'm not skilled enough, you know, they hit really hard. And I said, well, you know, you, you pass everything I've hit at you, you know, and when I'm like really swinging, she goes, yeah, those are easy. And I said, it's not even like 18 open. Like, you know, they, that's about the same speed. I said, if, if you feel comfortable passing what I'm hitting or what some of the other players that we brought in are hitting, then you can handle an 18s level or a 17s level. And, you know, I think the next obstacle is explaining it along with the whole team selection and what you offer, kind of like how we were talking about. Um, what is a good fit and why? And it's not, I, I would love to see people stop chasing these titles mm -hmm. and start yeah. chasing quality. Because I, I, I heard someone, same kind of thing, um, talking about the use of the word elite and how it's so beaten dead and it really means nothing now. Um, now, the teams that are nationally ranked and that have a, a long history of success, you know, that have those in their name... They've obviously earned them, but a lot of the other ones, you know, I sit there and go, you can't call yourself elite if you're not finishing in, you know, top three or four or five in some of these big, I'm talking two, three day tournaments like Big South or NEQ or, you know, Midi's Qualifier or something. And then I see you're in copper and you're struggling to get a three set win, you know. And that's the one thing I've taken all the labels out. And I had, I've had parents ask me, well, is it a state? Is it a regional team? Is it a power team? Is it a national team? I said, it's a 17s. We're going to go play at certain tournaments because that's the difficulty I want them to be at. This isn't about labels. This is about them playing at certain levels. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people nowadays to understand. And it's hard to convey that message to people that they almost like they... They have to know every little thing. They they, mm -hmm. they don't understand a different concept because either they don't want to understand it or I feel like sometimes they just don't care to understand it because it doesn't right. make sense to them. Yeah. And I think some of the times, too, what, what those parents are looking for isn't – and this isn't everybody, obviously, but I think a lot of the time – they're not even so much looking to learn like, oh, this is a level we're going to be at. I want to plan accordingly. They're actually like, they're wanting you to tell them like, my kid just made an open level team because my kid's amazing. And if you're not the coach that tells them that, like, we're going to go try out for this other team and see if they say it. And <clears throat> I think that like, that creates both like negative, like it's a bad environment for that kid to be in where they're being pandered to just so like a coach can get them on the team. You, you never want like, like, I hope I never have to be in a situation where I'm, I feel like I'm begging for a kid to play for me because I think like, if I'm in that situation, what I'm communicating to them is like, you're so good. Like you're, you'll be better than all the other kids on this team. I want you like, and I think there's, I can express, like, I'm excited to coach you. This will be fun. I want to see you get better. Like there's good things that I can use to encourage a kid, but if it's becoming like, please play for this team, I really want you. I want us to win. I want to go to such and such tournament and we're going to win it because of you, like, that's not a healthy way to communicate with those kids. It doesn't give them good expectations for how they're going, like what level they're at. And it doesn't give them any expectation of improving, which is really negative there. And I think I see that a lot for parents is like, because we have like a two club, like kind of two dominant clubs in our region, they actually will like the, the schedule, I think intentionally so that like you could come try out for running United at 16s level and if you don't make our team the 16s level for the other club is right after ours so you could literally like leave drive to the other one and see if they'll take you um and there'll be times where like their 16s team is better than our 16s team or something like that 
But in general, like ours is first, typically because our teams are going to be the stronger ones. It doesn't always play out that way, but it really, I think we see kids leave those practices and go to the other club to try out. Not even so much because it was like, oh, like I saw the white level team you're putting together and it's just too far below my kid's level. Like it's not going to be a good fit for them, but it's more just like, no, like I want someone to tell my kid that they're the best kid in their age group. Like I want that feeling of like, they have already succeeded just by being taken on this team. And I think that's, that's a really damaging. It's a dangerous slope when that happens though. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I found out as when I got to college, I mean, professionally when it came to my career, I found out real fast, man, that doesn't work. It never will work. And I feel bad for a lot of those athletes that, um, and I've had, I've had a few recently where they're like, I I, want to make this certain team. I want to make this team. I want to make this team. And you know, I don't, I don't like to like burst that bubble, but Mm. for me personally, especially as a strength coach and, um, working both sides of the ball, I I look at them and go, look, I I've seen from middle school to professional, um, level athletes. And I've seen a lot of programs. I want you to really look at the program and really tell me what you see. Like if you can't really evaluate a program before you go in and, and become try to become part of it, then I think it's very misleading if you don't know what you're getting into. And you know, I've even said you 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 have to look at the structure. You got to look at the kids you're going to be around. You got to look at who's coaching, and you have to look at what are they really offering you. Is it anything different than what's going on? Or are you caught up by the by the quote unquote prestige and the look, like the the actual appeal of it? Mm-hmm. Because you know you hear you hear some of the more top ranked clubs like Tav and A five. That's all you have to hear. You don't have to go look and see what they look like. You don't have to do all these things. You know their name, their name itself speaks, but it speaks because of what they've done, and the people that they bring in, and so on and so on and so forth. And it's, for me, I just wish that parents would explain it more to their kids of what actually, because all they're doing is buying a product. I mean, when, when we break it down as coaches, you guys are buying a product. And I think it's very hard for sometimes the parents to let the kids do it and then let the kids understand you know, and sit them down and be 100% blunt with them and say, hey, this is what you're getting into. If you don't see it, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is what you're getting into. And, you know, kind of have a real world talk with them. Mm-hmm. Because when it gets down to it, you know, when money changes hands, everything changes. So it gets very hard, especially me personally. And I've juggled the idea of not coaching club in the, you know, in the foreseeable future. Just because I don't like fighting that battle. I don't like fighting the, I have to make you like me right away. And I have to show this beautiful picture of this extravagant level of play. Mm -hmm. And then say, oh, this is why you should come to me. You know, I, I want my work to speak for itself. I don't want this persona or this image of what I've put out there. You know, just because it's a certain name and it sounds amazing should not mean anything. You should still go in and see what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. I think, too, like I would I would encourage kids who are trying to figure out like where they want to play to take more seriously. Like for one, like probably one of the biggest factors on a team that you can control is just going to be like which coach do I want to play for? Cause there are coaches who might be like coaching the best level for this team that are a bad fit for you. And if you go and talk to like, like ask, talk to a kid who played for that coach last year and try to get an honest conversation of like, what did this coach do in these situations? Like, did this coach ever get any red cards at tournaments because they screamed at the referee? Like I, I would argue like if that's ever happened, like don't ever play for that coach. Like, there are things like that that I think kids just see like this coach has this reputation for winning or this reputation for success or like this coach is the coach at my school. Like I had that this year that 
benefited me because I had several strong kids in my age group who wanted to play high school for me this like they go to the school that I am now the head coach at and so they wanted to be on the travel team almost to like get that early in and I was happy to have them on my team it's exciting it's helpful for me to get kids in travel that I'm also going to get them in school but I think it like from a less biased perspective I might have been quicker to be like you like you should ask about this coach like don't just be like oh this is the coach I'm going to have. I want to get on his good side. Like think about like, go talk to kids who played for me last year and ask them like, what did your coach do when you had tough games? Like when you guys were losing, how did he respond? Or like, what does this coach do when you're in practice? Like, did you feel like they were trying to help you get better or were they just kind of like trying to inflate their own ego and create like a power team and, you know, did they treat certain kids better than others because they were more talented than others? You know, those are the kind of questions I would want to ask and like know about a coach before I played for them, because really like that makes such a big difference of like, if you come to a team and realize halfway through is like, oh my goodness, I can't stand this coach. Like it's too late. <laughs> you've already put your money in. You've already locked in. Like you can't just back out. So like, I think that that would be a big thing to think about is like, are you finding a coach whose values you can see and align with and be excited to play for them? Even if like, you don't get, you know, such and such level tournament that you wanted to play at, or like you don't get to go and win such and such big tournament. Like, I think your goal should always be to be improving, to be growing. So are you finding a coach who's going to get you there? Or are you finding a coach that isn't a good fit for you? Uh, that's that's extremely relevant whenever they want to think about taking the next step mm-hmm. into college and collegiate athletics, because if they don't know how to have that talk, then that the the talk to set up the next four years is going to be very misleading, and they're going to miss out on a lot of possible red flags that they could have easily avoided. Because there's been tons of athletes, and you know we've all talked to them that. You know, they get they get into their first season. They finish the first season. They're like, all right, I'm going into the transfer portal, and I yeah. sit there and go, Dad, you you better make this choice once. And sometimes that first choice is damaging. I mean, it shouldn't be, mm-hmm. but I think they were talking about how there's been such a huge turnover in collegiate athletes, not just volleyball, but collegiate athletes that they don't like what's going on, they leave. And you know, I think there's a big gray area to that. I think it's the same kind of thing with club, you know, um, you have, you have those athletes that they feel like something's wrong and they're like, well, I asked for this and I got this. And it's sometimes it was, you didn't really realize what you got into right away. And then there's other times where you kind of get dealt a bad hand and it wasn't what you signed up for. So that's where, just like you said, it's where all the communication has to come in. So it's. It's a, it is a big thing, and I, I really feel like there does need to be more athlete, more, I say, athlete administration talk and parent administration talk and have, have those kids make the decision based off of those conversations because that's something that they do on the collegiate level. Why not do it on the private level? So, I don't know, that's a... That's a, that's a pretty loaded topic. I'm sure a touchy topic for a lot of people, but, um, just to move on from that, what's been, um, what's been your biggest highlight for the year so far? Uh, let's see. Um, I think probably, so we went to, we had, we had planned to go to the Queen City Classic in Charlotte this year, and then that was a tournament that got postponed, and it got posted, postponed to be late in April. And our teams almost always end at Big South, which is like first weekend in April. And I just didn't want to stretch a team to go another like three weeks after that, both for like cost reasons, because that's just adding more practices, extending the season, and for just my own desire to kind of have a cutoff and be like, I need a break. I need the season to end at a concrete time and move on. Um, And so we opted to go to 
a less competitive tournament that just kind of worked out scheduling wise for us. Um, it was in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is basically like a suburb of Charlotte. So it was easy, an easy switch for the parents to make. I think it was maybe even, no, it wasn't the same weekend, but it was like the weekend after or something like that. And so we went to this tournament, um, and really struggled our first day, got beat by a team that we definitely could have beaten our very first game and then played another team really, really close um, when it probably should have been a much more commanding win. Um, and we did beat that team, but we struggled there and kind of had to have like um, just a serious conversation about like, okay, why is it that we always start so slow at these tournaments? And this had probably been... That was probably our third tournament this year. And I think we had had that several times that like we played a first game that should have been a win that either like was a bad win or like ended up being a loss. And I think we just kind of looked at that and we're like, what can we do to come out really, really strong tomorrow? Because even like the way it had played out the pool we were in, even though we had lost a game, it was like a three-way tie and we had won we had done the best within that three-way tie. So even though we lost the game, we came out on top of our pool, we were going to go to gold. And so we kind of got lucky there that like the team we lost to ended up losing to a bunch of people and not being a factor. And then we beat the other two teams. So we won the tiebreaker and got to go to gold the next day. But we had to kind of like have that heart to heart of like, we're going to gold, but there's going to be better teams than that team in gold. And we just lost to them. So like, what can we do to start really, really strong tomorrow? And we had to play that next day. We played a team that had a really, really strong outside hitter who is playing six rotations. And I just kind of looked at her warming up. I, I'd actually scouted them playing a previous game in the same tournament and saw like, okay, this kid can hit all the spots we're bad at defending. She's hitting with a lot of speed, a lot of range, and they're trying to go to her almost every time. Um, and just kind of looked at that and I was like, they could legitimately knock us out first round of gold. We could go home like just that one game and go home. And that would be a really disappointing way to finish the second day of that tournament. And so we talked with the kids and I had looked at it and been like, you know what, this team's pretty weak out of system. Let's um, try and go to their setter, like attack their setter as much as possible. Um, and just explain that to this team. I was like, look, this these hitters are going to beat you if you let them like, absolutely. This is a better team than a team we lost to yesterday. So this is our game plan. Like how can we fight and do everything we can to execute this game plan? And so we talked to like our right side hitters, you're going to hit cross every time, even if the setter is digging you, we want the setter to play every first ball. So that they get out of system and they start to get rattled and make mistakes. And our outside hitters needed to hit line every time. And even though at the 15s level, I would expect, out, outside hitters for a red team to be able to do that well that was a shaky point for this team this year and so that was a little bit of a challenge and then my middles needed to turn and hit the one zone to try and make the setter dig the ball and we did it really really well and actually beat that team pretty comfortably like I, I looked at that team and I was like this is probably one of the best teams we had beaten that year and just because the kids came out with a lot of intensity a lot of confidence and did like really all of them had to do things that were difficult for them to adjust to beat this team. And it just worked and it clicked. And I was like, I think that was absolutely like the highlight moment for this team this season was like being able to get to the end of that game and be like, you guys just did everything you had to do. Like you were brave. You took the risks. Like you hit line, even though like that's not very, that wasn't a very confident thing for either my outside hitters, like my right sides were going cross and hitting at the setter, even kind of like, I think they had to take, um, the humble stance of realizing their role in that game might not have been to get a kill every time, but it had to be like to make, to challenge the setter and thus challenge their whole team. And I think my right side stepped into that really well where they're just like, okay, we understand like what our game plan is. Even if it, this means I'm not going to get, you know, five kills this game, I might get one kill this game. I'm going to be crucial to our success. And I think like all the kids just stepped into it really, really strong. And we beat that team really competently um and yeah i was just really really proud of them i think i'm always i'm always the most proud of kids being brave enough to do the things that they're not confident doing like i think that's what i want to see every time is like even if you like if you mess up more like i think you're gonna like you're gonna have to if you're gonna do something that's difficult 
And so I love to see kids try. And it's just especially fun when they try and have success too. Like it's not about the fact that we won that game. Like I think it just was that extra bonus to be like, you did everything I asked you to do. You played a tough game and you won. Like that's the extra bonus reward of like, you did everything right. But I think had we been in that spot and they did what I asked them to do and they did it like they tried and they played with confidence and lost, I think I still would have been, that still would have been a highlight of the year to me. Yeah. Um, I think so that's it's just always the extra bonus of winning it. Yeah, that's always the big thing. Uh, is you know, I'd rather see them make a mistake and learn mm-hmm. than be so cautious to screw up anyway. Yeah, and I know, um, I know that I mean, I 100 agree because it's been one of those things that I love. I'd rather see them completely out of their shell, but but make a mistake on every single thing rather than them feel comfortable, but only make, we'll say, 25 or 50% of what they're doing. And even if they score points or not, I mean, I've told girls, you know, I'd rather see you swing and hit the ball out than try and tip and tip it in the net. Mm -hmm. Because it just shows that you, it's almost like this recklessness, like you're not scared. And if you show you're not scared, those girls on the other side, they're going to respect you whether they realize it or not. And I know that's a huge thing, especially with the younger female athletes, is to understand that. Like, understand that you can you can be strong and not be right. Or be strong and make a mistake. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I know we're coming up on time here. Um, but I just want to uh, get one more thing from you. And is that is, what's your biggest piece of advice to uh, any any athlete that listens um, or even as a coach, like words that, that you live by when you coach your, your teams? Um, hmm, that's a great question. I think for an athlete, I would say like the sooner you can learn to have a serious growth mindset in life, like one, the better athlete you're going to become and two, just the better life you're going to have from that. I think that's one of the most transferable things from sport that we can get is just to take like exactly what you were just talking about is like, how can you actually view your mistakes as challenges and use those things to improve? Because I think it is tough to find kids that really seriously will steer into their mistakes knowing like, no, like I'm going to hit the serve like out four times in a row, because I know that if I keep going after it, like I can fix this, I can get it right. And I can have an amazing serve or like, I'm going to hit line and practice a hundred times and miss 90 times. But I know I need to keep going because the only way to learn to hit line is to do it. Like, I'm not going to, like, I have to make those mistakes. I have to be able to do that. Cause I think like, this is still something I don't think I had, like when I was these kids age, I was the exact same. Like I had no growth mindset. It was all like, I just want to be good for free. Like that would be, that was my ideal situation is like, can someone just tell me I was born with amazing talent and I don't have to work and I'm just the best. Like I would like that please. And I think that has been such a disservice to me. And, um, like immediately, like got to college and immediately was like, oh my gosh, I'm not good at volleyball. How did this happen? And it was pretty, pretty clear. It's like, well, you didn't try to get better ever. You just played your way and we're happy with that. Um, and that's something that's still to me is like that. I guess I could say like that applies to coaching too, is like, how are you going to learn to grow as a coach? And I think like the biggest part for kids, I think it's a confidence thing. It's learning to, um, view your mistakes as, as like challenges that you've like tried something difficult. And even though you didn't succeed at it, that's your only way to improve. So that's really important for coaches. I think it's like a humbling thing. It's to say like, Hey, you can actually get better. Like stop, stop. I think for me, I have to like say like, stop making the excuse of like, Oh, well, like this team is just not going to be that good. I just don't have the kids for it. Or like, you know, they're not doing what I asked them to do or like, if they just would listen to me better, like, I think those all become excuses for me to not say like, how can I find a way to communicate that these kids are actually going to absorb? Or like, how can I find a way to make this kid better, even if it feels like we're not connecting at all? And like, even if it feels like they're totally shutting me down, it's like, have I done 
absolutely everything on my end I can do before I just turn it off and say like, you know what, I quit on you. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of the, what growth mindset has to be for coaches is not to, not to blame mistakes on players, um, which I think requires a lot of humility of coaches. Like I need to more openly talk to my players and say like, Hey, like, you know, I made this strategic choice today. It was wrong. That was on me. Like, I think we lost some points because of that. I think that's important for, for my growth, both for my players. Like, I think that's a great way to build trust, but also from my growth mindset perspective is like, if I'm not humble enough to admit to my players when I think I messed up, like, I, I don't think I'm actually taking my mistakes seriously enough. Like I'm not giving myself the space to grow and improve because like, I just want to like take my mistakes and be like, oh, well, like we don't have to talk about that. That was just a little thing. Like I'm not worried about that, but I would much rather be the kind of coach who looks at every loss and says like, okay, like these are the things I did well. I'm proud of these things. What did I miss? Like, not just like, what did my players do wrong? But like, maybe it's why did my player do that wrong? Like, why didn't I train them to not do that? Like, what have I missed in practice that I could have been doing to prepare them better? Or is it like, what attitude did I bring to this game that like created this culture or what, you know, I just want to always ask myself those questions, like to have kind of the humility to be like, could this have been my fault? And can I be better than I was this time? Oh yeah, man. That's, that that th- those last couple of things are are the biggest the biggest things I've seen that if coaches can do that that they'll be successful whether it's whether it takes some time or not it'll it'll happen so um I do want to say thank you for coming on especially with us having to change things a couple of times here and there no um, worries I was excited to, for the opportunity uh, thank you I appreciate that um, to anybody listening uh, we will actually be on tomorrow night with uh, Coach's Corner. So we will see everybody tomorrow night.